0: The following sermon audio has been brought to you by Christ Church Downtown. For more information, go to Christkirk.com. And all God's people said, let us rise and worship the triune God. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desire of those who are in awe of him. Sing, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout, you lower parts of the earth. Break forth into singing, you mountains, O forest, and every tree in it, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob and glorified himself in Israel. Lift up your hearts. Let's pray. Father, we do bless you from the lowest depths and the highest mountain peaks. You who sit enthroned above the cherubim are worthy of all honor and praise. We thank you for gathering us here in the name of your Son and in the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask that you would receive our worship now in the name of Jesus Christ, and amen. Amen. Well, we continue on in our study through the book of Proverbs, and uh, this morning I want to focus on just two verses in chapter 3. So uh, listen to Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your paths. In this passage, Solomon tells us how life can become a pleasant stroll through the Arboretum on a sunny day instead of a constant and slipping and falling on black ice in these cold Moscow streets. Solomon knows it's dangerous out there, and so he gives us three commands that will make life go well for us. And isn't that what we all want? So what are these three commands that make life better? Number one, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And this is the fundamental difference between believers and unbelievers. Christians are believers. We are trusters. And we are to trust God, not just with 50% or 75% or even 99%, but with our whole heart. We don't get to keep any part of our heart for ourselves if we are Christians. And so that's the first command. Trust in the Lord with all you got. The second thing, he says, is to lean not on your own understanding. So when you don't trust God with that 100%, you keep a percentage for yourself, you tend to start leaning on your own understanding. And this can look differently depending on who you are. The world, they lean on science, education, expertise, or they lean on their own heart in order to find the best way forward. But as we will find out in Proverbs 14:12. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is death, it's destruction. So as Christians, we are also tempted to lean on our own uh, theological knowledge, life experience, and insight. But if any of these things become a substitute for relying on God himself, we might as well lie down on a bed of thorns. It's like trying to sleep on top of a cactus. Why would you lean on that, and then wonder why you can't sleep. So Solomon tells us here, don't lean, don't rely on your own understanding. And lastly, the third thing he says is, in all your ways, acknowledge him. And in the Hebrew, the verb here is to know, know him, know God in everything you are doing. This is very instructive, especially for you young people who are trying to figure out if something is okay, right or wrong, sinful or not. All you have to do is ask yourself, am I acknowledging God as I do this thing? Can I acknowledge God if I do this thing? Or the old adage, uh, when I was a boy, if Jesus was in the room right now, would you be doing that? And that typically would mean, okay, I can't punch my sister, I must not do that. Uh, So if not, then don't do it. So to summarize the exhortation here, trust in the Lord with all of you, with everything you have. Don't for a second lean on your own cleverness or understanding. And in everything you do, your work, your play, your making breakfast in the morning, acknowledge and know your God. Because if you do this, God promises to make our path straight and keep our feet from stumbling on our way towards glory. From Isaiah 45, Look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Father, we confess that we have not trusted you with our whole heart. We confess that we too often do lean on our own understanding instead of listening to you. We confess that we have lived as if you were not watching and done things in secret places that we are ashamed to mention. But we thank you now for this opportunity to expose our sins to the light of your grace and receive forgiveness in your name. We confess those individual sins to you now in sila. We ask all this in the name of Jesus, and amen. Please rise for the assurance of pardon. From Isaiah 57, 19. I create the fruit of the lips, peace, peace, to him who is far off and to him who is near, says the Lord, and I will heal him. Saints of Christ Church, because you have confessed your sins to God, it is my privilege and joy to announce to you that your sins are forgiven through Christ. Thanks be
1: Amen. God. Amen. Our sermon text this morning is from Philippians chapter one, the first eleven verses. Hear the words of the Lord. Paul and Timothy, bond servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it, unto the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge, in all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. Our Father, you are our great God. Pray now that your spirit would be with us to open our eyes to see your greatness and the great work that you do or doing among us and that you have planned for your people in Moscow. We pray all of this in Jesus' name and amen. amen. <laughs> so this morning we begin. Uh, working through the book of Philippians, we'll be doing this over the next uh, several months as I'm, as I'm preaching. Paul wrote to the church of Philippi for the very practical reason, to say thank you. So Paul was imprisoned in Rome at the time, and the Philippians hear about this. So they send a man, a leader a, named Epaphroditus, over 800 miles to be able to check in on Paul, to be able to give him a financial gift to help him. And then Paul uses this opportunity to write a letter to thank you, to say thank you. But more importantly, to remind the Philippians that Jesus is their Lord and that Jesus is their Christ. That's the heart of the letter. You can see that in the second chapter, Philippians chapter 2. where Paul Paul demonstrates beautifully that, that Jesus, through his incarnation, through his life, through him humbling himself even to the death on the cross, through his resurrection, that Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is their Christ. And these two truths have just saturated Paul's heart, his mind, his desire for the Philippians. And so he takes this truth, Jesus as their Lord, Jesus as their Christ, and applies it to all these different areas in the lives of the Philippians. And their suffering, and how you deal with Caesar, when you have women who are squabbling, when there's ministry competition. Jesus as Lord, Jesus as Christ is the foundation of the gospel. And what we're going to look at this morning is that this is uh, what joins our union together in the fellowship of the gospel. So Paul begins the letter by letting the Philippians know how he constantly thanks God for their fellowship in the gospel. So I want to start out by, have you ever met a new Christian, stranger? Find out they're a Christian, and then you have a unique and immediate bond with them. Have you ever experienced that? I just did this last week, kicking up ISF, and we had a packed living room at the beginning, and I'm doing something, to, dealing with a kid, and all of a sudden I'm startled because I look up and there is a large, hairy body right in front of me. I'm like, oh! Focusing a little bit, it's, it's this guy with a very furry uh, like bear hat on and a scruffy beard. His name's Ben, and we get to know each other. I kind of, oops, oh, sorry, didn't, didn't really want to be startled by you, but welcome. Uh, and he was visiting ISF while he was in town for a couple of days and talk, and We quickly established that he's a Christian, I'm a Christian. We share a little bit about each other's lives. We minister uh, to some of the internationals. And, um... What really, what really got me, what established a bond, and it may not seem like this at the beginning, but at the end of the evening, he graciously confronted me of a sin. And my first response is, like, I have, I have only known this guy for, like, 15 minutes, and he is already confronting me of a sin, right? And my second response is, I, I have only known this guy for 15 minutes, and he is already confronting me of a sin, I should also point out that he was right, right? Like, I really had sinned in an area, and this guy demonstrated his love for me, right? And I told him, I am so thankful for your care, for your compassion, for your courage to be able to come and point this out, right? And it's just, like, one thing to be able to minister to the gospel, you know, to the people out there. But this guy, a stranger, was willing to minister the gospel to me. 15 minutes, 20 minutes that we shared. Like this guy goes from a total stranger to someone I would consider as as a brother. I'm thankful for and I love. What is this? How does that happen? It's because we share in the fellowship of the gospel. Paul loves the Philippians and he has a deep care for them. And he thanks God, if you look at verse 5, which you have in your bulletins, he says, uh, he thanks God for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Gospel fellowship is the work that God does to bring sinners into his communion, into his fellowship through the work of Jesus Christ in the gospel. Through the work of Jesus, sinners are brought into fellowship, into the union of God. That's the primary fellowship. But then we also share that fellowship with brothers and sisters, with the people of God. The gospel brings us in to fellowship with God. And then we work with our brothers in the ministry of this gospel. And this establishes a joyful union. Paul says this is so, so important, this gospel fellowship, because the Philippians church is being strained by persecution from the outside. They are being endangered from Division, from ministry competition, from squabbling among their people, from selfish teachers, from inside the church. This fellowship is being endangered. So Paul knows that the church needs to be united, united to the Lord Jesus Christ and and to each other through the fellowship of the gospel. So that's what we're going to be looking at. But before we get there, we've got to set the context of the letter and get some of the background of the city of Philippi. So this letter is written by Paul and Timothy in about 62 AD. Uh, If you look at the the first verse, they describe themselves as bondservants of Jesus Christ. This description as bondservants is not just mere piety, right? Paul is in Rome under house arrest waiting to appear before Nero. And this letter is addressed to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. So uh, Philippi is the main city in the province of Macedonia. So if you think, okay, where's Philippi, where's Macedonia? You've got to find Greece. And if Greece was ahead, Macedonia is the hat, right? And sideways bill, um, that's where Philippi is. So uh, I do have a map in your bulletins. I love maps. They're fun. So find Philippi on that. And this is a map of Paul's second missionary journey. And that's when Paul first visited Philippi, planted this church. And we get this story in Acts chapter 16. So, if you want to follow along in the map, it's fun. Uh, so, Paul starts the journey with a guy named Silas, Christian brother, and they are in Antioch. And that's the Antioch with the star. So you got Jerusalem, go up north, find the star. And their plan is that they want to visit the churches in Sicilia that he's planted on the first journey, their first missionary. And he comes to Derby, and there they pick up a guy named Timothy. He's going to be a pastor soon. So it picks up Timothy, and their plan is to start preaching to the churches are in the province of Asia. Right? They, they got Timothy, they got Silas, and they're here's the plan. Let's go to Asia and preach. But it's uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 6. But the Holy Spirit forbid them to preach the word. Right? It's Like, okay, Asia's out of it. And then they attempt to go north into Bithynia. But the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. And they say, huh. Right? So then they pass through Asia and they wind up in Troas on the coast of the Aegean Sea. And that's most likely where Luke joins them. So Luke wrote um, Acts. So Luke joins them at Troas. So this is a first-hand experience from Luke. And during the night, Paul has a vision. A vision from God appears to Paul. It's a man of Macedonia pleading with Paul. The man of the vision says, come over to Macedonia and help us. Come over to Macedonia and help us. And in the morning, Paul shares this with with Silas, Timothy, and Luke. And they conclude that the Lord has called them to preach the gospel in Macedonia. That's help. Come help us. They said, therefore, let's go preach. And so they immediately set sail for Philippi. It is very clear that God wanted Paul and these brothers to go to Philippi, to go to Macedonia to preach the gospel. The Holy Spirit says, don't go to Asia. Don't go to Pontius or Bithynia. Right? Go to Philippi, this Roman colony. Right? So you ask, why, why Philippi? Well, I think part of it is because decades before, there was a battle at Philippi that determined who would rule the Roman Empire. And now this battle has to go and be fought Again. So, you um, gotta get your Roman history on, which I really enjoy. I think I took Roman history back like in fifth or sixth grade, and it was, it was a prime studying for my young self. So, Roman history Julius Caesar has just been assassinated, and now you got his Avengers uh, Mark Anthony, Cleopatra, remember the story, and then Octavian who is going to become Caesar Augustus. They have tracked down Caesar's assassins, Cassius and Brutus, right, of the et tu Brute, even you, Brutus, fame, right? So Mark Antony, Octavian, tracked down Cassius and Brutus at Philippi. And there is the final battle between their armies, and Mark Antony and Octavian Triumph, right? They defeat Cassius and Brutus. And that's the end of that revolution there. And uh, some of their soldiers go and set up shop. They colonize Philippi. And then fast forward a few years. By 30 AD, Octavian has become emperor. Right? He is the sole emperor of Rome, and he renames himself Caesar Augustus. And then he remembers back to Philippi and he uh, establishes Philippi as a Roman colony. That means that there are more Roman soldiers, retired soldiers, who go and live there. He gives them land. They have a Roman government. They have Roman coinage. They have all the benefit of Roman citizens in this city of Philippi. So now, now Philippi has a very strong Roman population. Faithful, loyal to Caesar. And Caesar, uh, he's not just a political leader or a military leader, he also assumes being a religious leader. There is the the cult of the emperor. They thought of him as the savior of the world, they called him their lord. He established the Pax Romana. This is a god like. Peace over the whole empire, right? And several Greek provinces around Macedonia even wanted to make Caesar Augustus a god, right? And to be able to to build temples in order to worship him. And Caesar Augustus is remembering what happened to Julius Caesar when he got a little too big for his toga, right? You get killed. So he does that. I'm not going to put myself forward like that. So he has a nice workaround. He says, I'm not going to be a god. But let's let's declare Julius Caesar a god. And being the adopted son of Julius, I am the son of God. So you come to Philippi and you got a city full of Roman soldiers loyal to their Lord and Savior. You have Greeks who are eager to worship their son of God. And here comes the church planting team of Jesus. What could go wrong? What kind of conflicts could there be? The Lord directs Paul to Philippi. Because this battle needs to be fought again to determine who will rule the Roman Empire. Will it be Caesar? Or will it be Jesus? And actually that's not quite right, right. It's not... Not to have this battle be fought again. Who's going to be the winner? Because this battle has already been fought. This battle has been fought on a hill outside of Jerusalem. And Jesus has already triumphed. So when Paul and Timothy and Luke and Silas go into Philippi, they boldly preach the gospel that Jesus... And not Caesar is the savior of the world. Jesus is the true son of God. Jesus is the true Lord. He's already won the battle. And so Paul greets the Philippian church. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. It's a battle cry. not to say booyah or brave heart battle cry I mean, it's just like this we're not even through the first two sentences here we already have the declaration that Jesus is the Christ Jesus is the Lord and this gives you peace right, this is grace okay so we got through Paul's greeting it's next now we see Paul's great love and care for the Philippians and His thankfulness for their fellowship in the gospel. Look at verse three. He says, "I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always, in every prayer of mine, making requests for you with you all, with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel, from the first day until now." All right you kind of get the impression? That Paul likes these guys, right? That he cares about them, that they are close to his heart based on his prayer list, right? This is enough to make any pastor feel kind of guilty, right? He's praying for them always, and in every prayer, he thanks God for them. I do pray for you guys, but not like, well, let's spread the guilt here right let's spread the guilt how many of you has said oh yeah i'll be praying for you and then what happens you forget right you forget why do you forget it's because you don't care really you don't really care but paul does not forget paul does not forget because paul cares he joyfully longs for them. Look, at verse, look down at verse 8. He says, For God is my witness. How greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. I think of a time when you longed for someone you loved. Right? You longed for someone that you love. The summer of 2011 was a summer of longing for me. Why was this a summer of longing for me? Well, I went over to London uh, to a church to do an evangelism internship for May, June, and half of July. And at the end of the summer, when I got back, I got to get married. I was able to marry my fiance, my love, Lenora. And uh, I also went over to London with Tyler and Koviak. And if you don't know him, he's like... Seven-foot Polish man. <laughs> Love that brother. Right? And sometimes in and I, we would go tour these glorious cathedrals, or we would stroll through a landscape that looked like pride and prejudice. Right? And Tyler and Koviak was not exactly the guy I was longing <laughs> to be with. Those <laughs> <sighs> Love him, but not in that way. right? But this summer, this summer, I was probably the closest to praying like Paul did for the Philippians. Right? I prayed like Paul did for the Philippians because Lenora was constantly near my thoughts. Always, in every prayer, I remembered her. Right? And I deeply cared that God would do her good. That she was well. This is Paul's passion, his love, his affection for this church in Philippi. And Paul says that he remembers, he remembers back to the very first day when the Lord began a good work in the Philippians. For this story, to see how their gospel fellowship began, we've got to pick up back in the story in Acts chapter 16. So here it is. Uh, they're Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke. They're setting sail. They're going across the Aegean Sea. And they arrive in Macedonia. And they come to Philippi. And it sounds like they're kind of wandering around for a few days. And maybe, I don't know, like maybe they're trying to find the Macedonian man, right? The guy in the vision said, come on over. He's like, Paul, what? what did he look like again? Right? They can't find him. Or... They're trying to find a Jewish synagogue because that's often their M.O. They would go and find where the Jews worship God, and then they would go and teach. But they can't find even a synagogue. This is a, a barren spiritual place. It says, verse 13, on the Sabbath, they go out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily Made, and they see a group of women, presumably who are praying, and they join their group. And among this group is a woman named Lydia. Lydia is described as a seller of purple. And she worshipped God. Right? But she's not even from Philippi. She's from uh, Thyat... She's not from around there, right? <laughs> she's over from Turkey, But she's probably like a businesswoman, import, export. She has a home here in Philippi. And Paul does what he was asked in the vision. Paul starts to help. Paul starts to preach. Paul starts to teach about Jesus. In Acts chapter 16, we don't know exactly what Jesus or what Paul said to them. But Luke does record it in the next chapter, Acts 17, what Paul preaches when he gets to a neighboring city. All right, so this is what Paul preaches. This is Acts 17, verses 2 and 3. Then Paul, as was his custom, reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I preach, is the Christ, the promised Savior. That's what he would do. He would reason from the scriptures, showing them that that the Christ had to suffer, that he died, that he rose again from the dead on the third day. And this Jesus, who did all of that, he is the Christ. He is the Lord. He preaches the gospel. Because that is the gospel, the good news of what Jesus Christ has done through his death, burial, and resurrection in order to forgive sins. So Paul preaches the gospel. And while he is preaching, verse 14, it says, The Lord opened Lydia's heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. I love this. When Lydia came down to the river that morning, her heart was closed. Her understanding was locked. Her faith was dark until the Lord opened it. The word is preached, and then the Lord opens her heart. And Lydia must have taken Paul and these other guys and brought them home. Because she's believed this gospel. I got to tell my family. I got to tell my whole household. You have got to hear about Jesus. And she takes them all back and it says that Paul preaches to them and then her and her whole household is baptized. Everyone is baptized. And Paul remembers back to that morning by the river when their fellowship in the gospel began. And Paul says in Philippians 1, 6, that he is confident of this very thing, that the Lord, that the Lord who began a good work in Lydia and in her family and in their city, that the Lord began it and that the Lord will bring it to completion in the day of Christ. Right. Lydia's story, this, this verse, gives such Confidence in salvation and our sanctification because our sovereign Lord is at work. Our sovereign Lord is at work in saving us and growing us up in salvation, right? The Lord, it's the Lord who opens Lydia's heart. It's the Lord who began the work, and it is the Lord who will complete it. the sovereignty of God gave Paul confidence, and it should give you confidence. God is God in evangelism. God is God in discipleship. God is God in sanctification, and you know what that means? I'm not. I'm not God. I can't do that, and guess what? You're not God. You can't do it either, Right? If my heart is locked, how do I get in and try to find the right key to unlock it? Good luck with that. And even, I would have a lot more luck if your heart is locked. And if I have to unlock it. Right? But you do plow. You do plant. You do preach the gospel. But who gives the increase? Not I. But the Lord gives the increase. God is the one who opens hearts. God opens prison doors, opens chains. God opens graves and makes dead men alive. That is the gospel that came through Jesus. I don't think there is anything more exciting than to see the Lord doing gospel work in another person. I don't think there's anything more exciting than to see the Lord beginning a good work and the Lord bringing that work closer to completion. Can I share, I think, a wonderfully glorious, exciting story about how God is working? Can I? Thank you. I was going to anyhow, but it's good to have you guys on board. Earlier this week, I got a text from Marshall Gallagher. And he texted me with a story about how his parents, his mom's parents, have rejected Christ for 21 years. And Marshall and Michelle and Lou and their parents have been praying for their salvation for as long as Marshall can remember. And this was one of his mom's deepest prayers and most earnest prayers before her death. Five years ago, she died. She wanted her parents to come to the Lord. All right, and this, this week, at the be, all right, and then at the beginning of December, his grandparents decided, or her grandma decided, to start going to church again. And even though grandpa didn't want her to go, he still drove her, dropped her off, and would pick her up from when church was done. And this week, The day before Mrs. Gallagher, Marshall's mom, entered into heaven, his grandma told the family that she believes in the saving blood of Jesus and that he had died for her sins. Amen. And Marshall says, I've been happy crying all day, ever since. Right? I've been happy crying because God has begun a work. Because God is the God who is able to open hearts. Even in a 76-year-old woman, there is life. Even those who have rejected Christ now have forgiveness and fellowship in Christ Jesus. The Lord began a good work. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And Paul looks ahead with longing for the day of Jesus Christ that we will all be complete, that we will all be complete. And then we'll have perfect fellowship with God. We will have perfect fellowship with one another, with our brothers, with our sisters, with our mom, with our grandma. all of this is of grace. Right? All of this is God's loving, caring work for his people. And that's why Paul says, "You are all partakers with me of grace." Right? Paul remembers back, "I was a persecutor of Jesus Christ and his people. I've had grace." The Gallagher's grandma has received grace. Lydia and her family partook of grace. This is the Lord's work. You know what? When you see the Lord working in you and working in others, you are very, very motivated to spread the gospel. When you see God doing a great work in grace... You are motivated to get up and work. This is what Lydia does. She gives a good example of the work that comes from gospel fellowship. The gospel is preached. The Lord opens her heart. She believes. And Lydia and her whole household is baptized. It seems like while she is still dripping wet, she invites Paul and these other guys to come and stay with her. Stay with me. You can be here. And actually, she begs them to stay. Why? Because the Lord has opened her heart. Therefore, she's got to open her home. She wants to open her home. The Lord has given her grace. Therefore, she wants to give grace. The Lord has begun a good work in her through the gospel. And so Lydia is ready to work. And She is begging to give some of this gospel fellowship that she has just received. And When the gospel is worked into our lives and into our community, then we start preaching the gospel, defending the gospel, confirming the gospel, just like what happened in this church. I'd like to end this sermon with a vision and a prayer. I want to end with a vision and a prayer for gospel fellowship in our church. Alright, so first, first a vision. The work in Philippi started because Paul had a vision. And it was a, it was a vision as big as Macedonia. It was as big as Macedonia. Come help. Come preach Jesus as Savior and Lord. And then the Lord Jesus Christ began a good work. And fellowship in the gospel spread through a woman and through a family and a city and eventually an empire. God gave Paul this vision. All of Macedonia, Paul has given us, this church, a vision. Not, kind, not as literal as Paul's, but we've been given a vision. All of Moscow. All of Moscow. And Moscow is in the same place as Macedonia. Moscow is in need of help. Moscow is in need of the gospel. Moscow is in need of Jesus as Christ, Jesus as Lord. That's our vision. That's a university. That's, that's the trailer park. That's the Fort Russell district. That's the Winko Teller. That's the Wells Fargo Teller. <laughs> the Lord has given us this vision. And you can, you can be sure that on that two-day journey, on that boat ride from Turkey over to Philippi, that these brothers Prayed. They prayed because that vision that God has given them was so massive. It was so beyond them. It was so overwhelming that nothing but the work of God could bring it about. Nothing but God entering in and working could bring this about. Our mission is too big for us. Our mission is such a magnitude that we can't do it either. Does it terrify us? Does it drive us to our knees? Or have we grown comfortable? Can we just rattle off our vision, all of Christ for all of life for all of Moscow? Boom. (laughs) Done. What if Paul was lazy or a coward, or complacent, or content with his group of Christian friends? Have you become lazy, complacent, comfortable with your Christian friends? My friends, my brothers, my sisters, let's put this to death. And be thankful, be joyful, be confident, because Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ is Lord, and he has begun a good work in you, and in your family, and in this town. And God has a desire that Moscow would enter in to the fellowship of the gospel. That's our vision. Here's my prayer. My prayer is Paul's prayer that he closes with. This is my prayer for Christ Church, for CCD, for you. It says, and this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. That you may approve that which is excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Jesus Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which come by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God, and amen. Please pray with me. Father, we magnify you. You are a great God. You have done such a great work already among us. We are so thankful for your grace in our own lives, in our families, our grandmas. We thank you. Father, I pray that this great work would grow into a great work in the city of Moscow. Father, we need your spirit. We are so thankful that you are with us. You have promised to always be with us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This table is for people who are works in progress. This table is for people who are works in progress. A work in progress is a project that has begun but still has a long ways to go before it's finished. Imagine a work table piled high with all kinds of different projects, some cracked and bent, some with wires shorting, others malfunctioning. Paul knows that the Philippians are works in progress And he's got a good idea of how much work still needs to be done. There are bad attitudes and bickering. There's competition and cowardice. And he is going to address all of that in this letter. But even with this heap, Paul starts his letter thankful, joyful, confident. Because he knows that the Philippian Christians are the Lord's. Work in progress. The Lord began the good work in them, and it is the Lord who will complete the work in them. And there is no project too difficult or too big or too time consuming that the Lord can't fix and complete. He is the master craftsman. Right now, you too can be thankful, joyful, confident. If you have believed the gospel and have been baptized, the Lord has begun a good work in you. You are the Lord's work in progress. And this table, this table right here, is the Lord's workbench. And there are many projects that the Lord's working on. Just look around. You see a good good number of projects right here. Here, the Lord gives you grace. Grace. Here the Lord loves you so that way your love may abound more and more. Here the Lord continues his good work of restoration to the gospel. But if you think you're already good, or if you're already workable, or if you're confident in yourself, then this table is not for you. For this is the Lord's work table for his works and progress. If you know that's you, then come to his table. Come and welcome to Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, once again, we say thank you for your gospel, that Jesus Christ saves sinners such as us, and that you promise that the good work that you have begun, you will bring to completion. We pray that this bread, this wine, this representation of your work for us would do a deep work in our marriages, in our relationships with parents, relationships with strangers. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the charge is this pray like Paul, thankful, joyful, confident that the Lord will begin a good work and will complete that work. Pray like Paul. And then, Like Paul, get up and get to work. And we have a perfect benediction for us. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations, forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen.